where the horn of Proteus has been sounded once again. Elsewhere in the United States, an energy dome continues to surround parts of San Francisco. Hulked-up versions of Thor and Spider-Man have crashed into the National Park in Washington, D.C. Other American troublemakers have turned up abroad as well, Tombstone and Daredevil, both ordinarily New Yorkers, have been spotted in combat in Lisbon. In New Guinea, a United Nations team has disappeared while investigating a cave reportedly filled with pterogen crystals. And a group calling itself radically advanced ideas in destruction has taken responsibility for a series of terrorist attacks in London. At Tower Bridge, the Israeli superheroine Sabra was seen alongside Union Jack, fighting the juggling-themed criminal junta Death Throws. That's T-H-R-O-W-S, Throws. This is Doombot RS-33 for the VOL. Zero, one, three. This is, the voice of Latvia. Zero, one, three. Here in Latveria, we get news from all over the world. The news may be good, or bad, but we will always tell you the truth, as Lord Doom sees it. Every week on The Voice of Latveria, we examine Marvel Comics history, through the career of its greatest hero, Dr. Victor Von Doom. And now, here's your host, Douglas Walk. The man who has read every Marvel superhero comic book, and lived to tell us all about it. Thank you, Doombot MG7. My guest this week is Rob Milne, musician, artist, Portlander, bon vivant, and co-host of the indispensable podcast Marvel by the Month. Welcome, Rob. Thank you. What we're looking at is two stories that fit into Doctor Doom's narrative at this point, this point being between Fantastic Four 3940 and the wedding of Reed and Sue in Fantastic Four uh, Annual Number 3. But these stories were actually published much later. Uh, one of them is the second story in Stan Lee Meets Doctor Doom, which was a one-shot from 2006. And the other one is Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four, if you look at the cover, or Spider-Man slash Fantastic Four, if you look at the Indicia, <laughs> number one from... Uh, 2010. Uh, so both like much later continuity inserts, both of which kind of have some problems fitting where they do, but we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. But the first of these is uh, from from Stanley meets Doctor Doom. Now these Stanley meets one shots were that there were a bunch of them that were all published around the same time, and they, they all had like three or four stories. One was a story written by Stan about him meeting one of the characters he's associated with. Uh, and then there was an, there would be another story by somebody else having to do with Stan in some way. And then a little two-pager by somebody who had done indie comics. Tom Billant does uh, that story in this one. Mm-hmm. There's one that's actually by Johnny Ryan. You don't see a lot of Johnny Ryan stories in Marvel Comics. <laughs> no, no, that seems, that seems really out there to even imagine. I don't think I would have thought he you know he made it into marvel at all but uh, yeah yeah um and then there would be a reprint of some you know, 60s era or 70s era story uh with a script by stan in this case from fantastic 487 which i believe you are just about to talk about on marvel by the month right yeah we are very close we are uh, that should be in a in a couple weeks for us recording and out in, a, in about a month or month and a half yeah so you've been progressively going through all the Marvel stuff in publication order from 61 onward. Yeah, we're actually in uh, 60, 
eight, um, oh, even, like, even cover 60. dates of 69 with um, some yeah. of these now. So uh, we're still talking about, I think, December of 68 uh, in the most recent thing we've recorded. But we are, yeah, we're almost to 69. It's almost time for me to revamp the uh, theme song again. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you've been recording a new theme song for every year. Yeah, not well, not for every year, but for for significant eras. So I started with a very Chuck Berry, uh, you know, 50s era song, you know, a little bit of surf rock in our first theme song. And then I moved into a Sgt. Pepper style theme song. And there will be a Led Zeppelin style theme song coming up very soon. So that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> all in the same key and all in the same, you know, structure, but uh, just changing the styles, which is really fun. Yeah. So, so you know, like like the WandaVision theme songs. Yes, much like that. I love I love those kinds of things. And I love if somebody wants to hear, you know, a heavy metal song in a ragtime way, I'm happy to try to, you know, break that down. Those are my favorite is, things. Is there like a band camp or something where people can hear hear music? I do. Yeah, I do have a SoundCloud. I forget about SoundCloud. it sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Plug your SoundCloud. I'll, I'll send it. I'll send you the link so, you know, you can bring that involved too. But um, yeah, and I do have some of some of my bands are on iTunes and other things. Some of the rock bands I've played in. So, yeah. So yeah, we have this odd second story in here that is not actually written by Stan, but it is, uh, it's Jeff Loeb writing Ed McGinnis and Dexter Vine's drawing, and it picks up pretty much right after the scene in Fantastic Four 39 and 40 with that incredible showdown between Doom and the Thing where uh, Ben Grimm crushes Dr. Doom's hands. Yeah, oh, it is, and Ben is just... Once again, for all he knows, lost any chance of humanity. Uh, he's also had his his girlfriend Alicia threatened. Uh, they've been through the ringer with Doom, so he's he's really ready to murder Doom. Reed has to you know talk him down, uh, and and what he does. I mean that's that's part of what happens here in this version. It it is it is one of the moments where if you're reading them sort of innocently in that era, you think possibly he's gonna rip his arms off you know the thing has lost his mind um yeah. so uh, it is uh you know he's he's very hurt and he's lucky to walk away at all um yeah. and that's that's pretty much where this story starts you know uh it's it's great and it's it's a great reimagining i love that jeff Loeb was involved in this too i was happy to be reading it's fun for me to be reading just anything that isn't 1960s comics because i spend a lot of time doing it now <laughs> and and the first four pages of it are, are literally just recapping all that like it is it is Loeb mcginnis telling that bit of the story and we cut from that to back in latveria where doom's faithful retainer boris you can't say boris without saying faithful retainer it's a lot his faithful retainer boris is treating his hands and talking to Doom, and Doom is just sitting there glowering and <laughs> furious. This is just pages on end of Boris talking to Doom, saying, The children of Latveria so love it when you honor them with a piano recital. <laughs> now, we discussed with Alex Ross a, a few weeks ago the fact that Doom plays the piano with his metal gloves on. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I feel like he, he needs an extra wide keyboard to pull that off, but, you know. He, he makes his own keyboards, we know this. Yes. <laughs> uh, Boris is also recapping that uh, Doom uh, keeps being forced to flee, to get away, uh, that he's shrunk, that he's gone to outer space. To the microverse. <laughs> the, the microverse. 
jumping out of a plane. Uh, it does not surprisingly mention his appearance in Avengers number one and a half, but you know, uh, <laughs> we'll take, take that as it is. Yeah. As usual with Loeb and McGinnis stories, there's a lot of very, very big panels. Like, there is an entire page devoted to a single image of uh, Doom fighting Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 5. Yeah. And finally, on the last page, we get the twist, which is that Doom has had it with listening to Boris and says, okay, listening to you, uh, now I've, I'm redoubling my efforts to kill Richards. Get out. Never speak to me like this again, or I will have you flogged within an inch of your life. <laughs> Classic Doom. Yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, Boris, you'd think he'd be able to nice see Boris, but no. Boris leaves, and the last couple panels, he pulls off a rubber mask, and it's good old smiling Stan. Yeah. Saying, the world's greatest villain, and for a second there, I thought he really was going to quit. Yeah. I love. I The thing I like the most about this is it, when when you have this um, sort of after the fact recounting of how often Doctor Doom has been nearly killed, and it, and he's like every time had you coming closer and closer to death. Mm-hmm. So uh, that idea of um, just thinking about this in someone who cares about the villain, someone who cares yeah. about Doctor Doom, uh, and then thinking about how often they put themselves in peril, and it's usually just for pride. And that that has the exact opposite effect on Victor Von Doom, uh, and because he's like, no, I need to double down on this. I need to yeah. get revenge. Uh, yes. Yeah, he's like, you've recounted all the times I my pride has been slighted. Thanks for reminding me that, but also, you will be flogged if you ever say anything about this again. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I will say that that. Uh, there's not really other direct evidence for Boris being Stanley within 616. And, you know, we've seen Stan in 616, and uh, we've seen Boris quite a few times. Boris did get replaced by a scroll briefly much later on. And uh, there's also a very odd scene in Avengers 25, which we'll be getting to here in a few weeks, mm-hmm. where uh, Doom is you know just walking the streets of uh, Doomstadt. And somebody who looks a whole lot like Boris has a thought balloon about what a monstrous tyrant he is. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, I I mean, I guess being where I am now in Fantastic Four, you know, number 84, having just visited Latveria with Fantastic Four um, and seeing how Doom's demands of everyone must be happy. And Kirby's just brilliant way of having people grinning but somehow you can see the the concern on their brow as they're <laughs> yeah. doing it just to, and uh so everyone in latveria must be happy of course um because uh doom's the ruler and uh but but so i could imagine boris might have a thought balloon like that but he, it's never been indicated in anywhere that he's nothing but faithful because he's been there since the beginning he knows doom's you know history <laughs> with taking yeah. over taking over the the uh, nation that uh, basically, you know, killed his family. So, yeah. um, or not basically, I guess that would be, <laughs> that would be understating it. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. he's, he's, a uh, he's a man of, he's very much about revenge, you know, he's, and he takes revenge to the fullest, you know, beyond the Count of Monte Cristo uh, realm. It's, uh, but, and survives. But uh, this was a good reminder that 
he narrowly survives. <laughs> I, I, I do like the sort of impossible fan theory that there was a brief period where Stan Lee actually replaced Boris in 616 mm-hmm. just to keep himself in the job. <laughs> I do like knowing just from when Doom had visited the Marvel offices too earlier, I think, you know, Stan, I could see Stan, you know, wanting to get the story. To make sure they could get, you know, if, the, if he felt like he was running out of stories, Stan would be willing to go undercover uh, yeah. in Latveria to, to make <laughs> sure he gets the inside scoop on Doom. Um, yeah. That seems in character with the character of Stan Lee in the 616 universe. That's, uh, yeah. that's fair. That's fair. Um, Stan is also a stickler for getting the story exactly right. Mm-hmm. We, we will see much later a, a story conference involving Roy Thomas and George Perez and Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. A story conference involving those four? Yes, there's a story conference involving those four where they're stretching to come up with, with like what they're going to put in Fantastic Four this month. And someone suggests, like, well, we could just make up a story. And Stan's like, that's just not how it's done. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Sure, Stan. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to the our, our main attraction, the Spider-Man the Fantastic Four, the the Christos Gage Mary Alberti uh story from twenty twenty ten. Sure. This was a four issue miniseries, uh set at four different times within Spider-Man the Fantastic Four's history. Like I think there's one like right after the Venom symbiote has come to Earth, right after Secret Wars. There's there's it, it there was also one of these that was like a, a Spider-Man X-Men or Fantastic Four X-Men miniseries. There were a couple of these around this time. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is ostensibly sometime between when Ben crushes Doom's hands and when Reed and Sue get married. So it's a really tight span of time. Yeah, very narrow there. It's also for Spider-Man... It's it's a little more indefinite, but it's just after he's enrolled at uh, Empire State University. So it, it's right around that time. As we will see, there is some problems with that. Yes. <laughs> but uh, but let, let's let's take a look at what's going on. You want to walk us through the early scenes of this? Sure. Yeah. First of all, I was thrown. I just recently read the uh, Spider-Man issue, Amazing Spider-Man issue titled crisis on campus yeah uh which was uh i think issue 68 or so i yeah and uh so i was already thrown that <laughs> right away i'm seeing seeing this and i know i'm gotta be past that in continuity even for doom continuity um you know as he flits around the universe but uh so it was interesting just to see that as a title it gets reused again in spider-man 2 i think there, there's at least one and maybe two more crises on the campus <laughs> I would I wouldn't put it past him. It's it's a great splash to start out with. Um, it's showing uh, Daredevil <laughs> swinging by, as well as the the FF uh, fighting Doom, and just a a bunch of sort of it looks like they might be inside of a a big hall or something. It's hard to say in that splash page, but then it immediately cuts to just the, <laughs> the FF having to listen to Doom uh, just insult them with. Uh, general ross there to uh i did love you know this collection of characters so general ross is telling the the ff that doom has demanded that they are the security retainer for the campus for this uh summit as 
as Doom is going to discuss a you know possible non-aggression treaties with uh, the Latvian neighbors, uh, which is it's just a great setup. And Ben is really upset about it, but uh, upset enough, of course, to to break a big lectern um, uh, because furniture does not last long around Benjamin Grimm. But uh, yeah, it's it's such a it's such a fun story just because right out of the gate, it, um, having Doom just you know setting this up you know he's setting up a trap for them and there's just and it's entangled with politics so i love um this is something that i'm always wishing for we barely get a nugget of this back in the 60s um with doom really using you know his status as as a ruler of a of a country in eastern europe and he's he's using it specifically not even to get deadly revenge but just to humiliate the fantastic four yes yeah. just to embarrass them as much as he possibly can <laughs> and he continues like he insults he insults them further uh johnny gets mad johnny has to apologize uh he insists johnny apologizes and he literally fumes i love it this doesn't happen enough with the human torch in my opinion <laughs> where he starts to smolder a bit and smoke comes off of him and sue of course is being the voice of reason trying to make sure everybody understands there's no there's no fight to be had here you they're they're already caught in this yeah i don't know how much play by play i can continue just sort of bringing us through and as you'd like but um I, I do admire the fact that, like, when Johnny finally goes, sorry, Doom's response is, My recording of this moment shall be Lothario's evening newscast forever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's such good Doom. Uh, so, uh, basically, they, they sort of break up so that, um, you know, Ben and uh, Johnny head out to sort of make themselves visible, look around the perimeter of the, the whole college. There's no one supposed to know doom is there. So that's the other piece is that this is top secret, <laughs> you know, general Thunderbolt Ross has declared it. So, so how could anybody even know to, to be a security threat? I do also like immediately on the next page, as we get the thing out in the quad, he's getting graffitied on Yancey street rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some, somebody has spray painted his back. Ah, uh, I love that. Uh, it's just uh, the, such a nice touch. ESU is here drawn pretty much explicitly as Columbia University. Yeah, and and not in a uh, '60s style in some ways. You know, yeah, um, no. like some of the architectural pieces and windows and notes are very modern. So <laughs> that's also just a that's like a a continuity blurb in you know and how they've chosen to draw it and also a lot of the language, you know, I do, I, I enjoy it being more modernized, but having read a lot of sixties comics, having somebody refer to themselves as sleazy or something like that just never happened then, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's the sliding timeline thing, which, which I love, which is you know, if this, if this is language that somebody could have used 12 years before it was published, then it's fair. It's right. fair game. Uh, when Dan Slott did his uh, learning to crawl sequence in Amazing Spider-Man a few years ago, it's set right after Amazing Fantasy 15, and the plot hinges on like somebody filming Spider-Man with his iPhone. Yeah. But, you know, like that's just barely within the, the historical range where somebody would have had an iPhone and been able to do that. Yeah, so. that would... And that would be a very small amount of the populace on the bleeding edge of technology adoption you know so at that point it's just 
Yeah. Right, but the, the assumption is now like it's being published in 2015, so it happened around in 2002, something like Three, that. Three, so, yeah, yeah, right in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just just barely there, and of course, by now it can certainly have happened. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a. I think the. I mean, we've just gotten to the the birth of the still unnamed Franklin Richards in our uh, yes. timeline. Um, he's been. He's un- not going to get named for a year. I know. No, it's, it is ridiculous, and Reed is such a bad father uh, at that point. I'm glad he makes up for it later, uh, but at this point, it's it's terrible. <laughs> He's a terrible father. But back to back to the ESU quad, we we get uh, right out of the gate. Um, Peter Parker runs into Johnny Storm, and they've already had a, a feud back in Strange Tales, even. Uh, so they have, yeah. Um... And in Amazing Spider-Man, and actually in one of the first Spider-Man stories that Dan Slott wrote, uh, which we covered on the show a couple weeks ago, which was the Spider-Man Human Torch miniseries. Peter, in the Strange Tales overlaps, uh, he is so jealous uh, because as Spider-Man, he's just vilified by J. Jonah Jameson, of course. And and Human Torch, who is his, you know, he's his fellow teenage superhero, is just... Uh, a hero he's like on every headline everybody loves him he's a superstar so every, he just resents that to no end it's classic peter parker <laughs> on we but uh yeah. yeah it's great so he they've peter has gone so far as to try to date johnny's girlfriend dory yeah and uh and that comes up immediately in their conversation here in the quad which Gwen Stacy is listening in on and having feelings about. Yeah, and Gwen is still uh, at this phase. She is. Um, she's just everyone who goes to school with Peter just thinks of him as a jerk. <laughs> I mean, yeah. even Harry Osborn is not his friend and at this point. Is yes, he's busy worrying about Aunt May, who's always on yeah. the you know razor's edge of death. Um, right. So he and you know whatever else Spider Man's up to, of course. But uh, so Gwen, yeah, Gwen gets interested enough to decide to play the two against each other uh, to try to get uh, Peter's Peter interested in her by giving Johnny a fake phone number and asking for his autograph, which really makes Peter mad, of course. So yeah. he uh, storms off and decides he's going to be uh, dressed as Spider-Man to come back to give <laughs> to give Johnny more trouble. This is the point where Submariner shows up with an enormous undersea beast and his Atlantean army. Yes. <laughs> Which is, I did not expect in this story. I was, you know, I was already um, admiring how much uh, continuity overlay we have with the mentions of Dory and Gwen and then flash Thompson's there and Spider-Man's there. And then suddenly the Atlantean army arrives and we were talking now, about this. Uh, yeah. This is one of a couple of, continuity glitches in this on on the page right before the atlantean army arrives peter's or spider-man is making a joke about like asking out johnny's sister at which point johnny reminds him like my sister and reed got engaged yes uh which spider-man didn't know he says well he did manage to like filch a piece of cake out of the window at their engagement party over in fantastic yes, four yeah. so m- maybe he was just like ooh cake <laughs> <laughs> Just swinging by the Baxter building for cake. Yeah. Uh, but somehow wasn't aware of this. Yeah. That 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 seems dubious, but it sets up some funny jokes. So I, I see where yeah. they're going there. Uh, it does 
jokes don't always shouldn't risk continuity quite so much when you're doing something like this but yes so the 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 bigger continuity nerdy issue is that submariner shows up with his enormous undersea beast now this is a tricky chain of stuff but submariner at the end of daredevil number seven dives into the water to go back and deal with stuff in atlantis Submariner number seven takes place at the same time as Avengers 16, which takes place at the same time as the beginning of Fantastic Four 39, Mm -hmm. when the Fantastic Four are thought dead and are still at sea. Because the Frightful Four come and attack the Baxter building, and they think the FF are dead, but then they see uh, Balder from Journey into Mystery arriving in a flaming trail and think it's the Human Torch and run away. Yes. So that has to be about the beginning of Fantastic Four 39. He stays underwater. Submariner continues to be underwater for a long serial in Tales to Astonish. And he's still underwater at the time that Reed and Sue get married. Because we see in Fantastic Four Annual 3 that Doom's Mind Control Ray or whatever it is doesn't work on him because he's too far underwater. Mm -hmm. So he's underwater the entire time Reed and Sue are engaged before they're married. Yes, as far as continuity is concerned, that is that is uh, nailing it. Yeah, so for him to now, show up here is impossible. When my son and I were initially reading through all these stories, getting them in the right order was very important to him. Mm-hmm. And so we were trying to figure out ways that this could be kind of squeezed into place. Uh, and there was one theory that briefly came up, which was that uh, Daredevil's appearance at the Battle of the Baxter Building, he's wearing his new red costume, and in uh, in Daredevil number seven, that's where he's debuting his new red costume. Uh-huh. So he would have had to appear in those Fantastic Four stories wearing his new red costume without realizing that he was wearing the new one yet, <laughs> thinking he was wearing the old one. And the theory that really appealed to my son was that he didn't realize that he was already wearing the new costume because he's blind. Yeah, I guess that that might work. That that's that's fair. Yeah, you kind of have to stretch yeah, it. Yeah, I do. So, yeah, that, I keep I just keep thinking about that that Daredevil story was one of the uh, one of the most amazing character establishment stories for Matt Murdock because he yeah. does not relent. He tries to fight Namor till he's just reaching for his ankle, laying on the street, beaten and beaten, and he keeps yeah. trying. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. That's uh, the last, what I recall of all of that is just Matt Murdock character development, and then Namor, you know, goes away, and we don't hear from him for a while, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but so, Namor has come back to take his revenge on Doom. They were allies, he got betrayed, he says, my quarrel is with Doom alone, a duel of honor, the Atlantean army is here to ensure the coward can't escape. I think during this time, uh, Atlantis's army has also been taken over, over in Tales to Astonish. Like, uh, by, possibly by Atuma. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, that uh, happens so, fairly often <laughs> in yeah, Namor's uh, uh, reign. But uh, I do I do recall that there there's at least some power struggles, if not totally taken over by the warlord Atuma at this point. Um, yeah. Maybe there's some faction that's you know, loyal to Namor. What, what? Uh, yeah. So, of course, the, the result of all this is Reed takes control and 
uh, says, all right, uh, let's get all the heads of state, including Doom, down to the panic room. Peter, God bless him, starts sucking up to Reed and telling him about how great his paper on antimatter was. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I, I, so everybody, everybody gets uh, hustled down to a panic room, and we see Doom using one of the powers that he doesn't really use a lot in the 60s, but comes up later on. Yeah. Which is mind transference. Yeah, he's done this uh, twice that I know of. Um, he's done it to uh, Reed Richards, uh, yeah. and then he did it to Matt Murdock. Uh, well, in, no, he does it he, to Daredevil with a giant machine. True. Yeah, a giant, uh, yeah, a huge machine to to transfer this, but uh, not not with a you know mask held device or just pure hypnosis of some sort you know uh it's hard to you know it's doom he's got technology magic he's got everything yeah. he's got a, yeah. a big uh toolkit so uh so he's he switches bodies with the human torch and then locks johnny and doom's body in the panic room which is a real cute premise for it's this kind of like freaky friday yes it is that's the story <laughs> and hearing my favorite parts are johnny stuck in in doom's body uh <laughs> he's very concerned <laughs> with the amount of body hair he has and how and that he might be ugly uh yeah. <laughs> so vain um and then he's immediately trying to to leave but realizes that uh it will only complicate things if he does Spidey helps to sort of talk him down. And it's also worth, you know, pointing out that, uh, you know, when Namor arrived, this was still supposed to be a secret. So obviously doom leaked this, uh, news to cause this problem. So, uh, so Johnny makes the decision or with Spider-Man's help to stay in the panic room. Uh, mm -hmm. and he sort of sulks into a, a nice, uh, I, I'm not sure when this chair was developed. I can't remember from my history of material cultures, but I don't know that this specific, very specific egg chair that uh, Johnny as Doom sits in was, you know, created in 1961. Maybe it was, I mean, or 63, wherever we're at at this period in time. Um, but it, it's a, I love that chair. I'm glad it showed up. It's an arrow Arneo style chair so it's a, okay. it's a arrow siren and i'm guessing somebody involved yeah. in that it's called the pod chair um pod chair okay the ball chair came into being in 1963 from arrow arneo a finnish furniture designer then narrowed to an egg shape in 1968 so the the, the full globe version is correct for 1963 so somebody did their homework to put Fantastic. that one in the room now we know <laughs> And it would be like a new nifty, like why you would put one in a panic room, in I'm the, not sure. but <laughs> In the ESU campus panic room for dignitaries. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think a panic room might actually be a later development. Yes, I, I, I don't recall anything in from the 70s ever hearing that term. I never heard that term until probably the 2000s or the late 90s. You know, I don't think that was a term. There were bunkers, but there weren't panic rooms. Yeah. 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 The fight is going on back on the campus. Doom now has the body and powers of Johnny Storm, and he's just shooting flame everywhere. Sue tries to stick a uh, transparent invisible dome over him. That doesn't go so well, because he nearly suffocates himself. Mm -hmm. 
he's he's definitely he's you know he's got the puppet of johnny storm's body to uh to put at risk so he's got a hostage (laughs) and a weapon all in one and eventually you get like an 18-sided donnybrook where you've got doom as the human torch the rest of the fantastic four spider-man namor and this gigantic whale creature and the armies of atlantis and you know helicopters flying overhead spider-man decides i'm 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 gonna cut out. I'm gonna see if there's a different way to deal with this. <laughs> yeah. So he bed, he heads back down to the panic room, <laughs> uh, and uh, lets Johnny uh, as Doom out. I I love whenever I'm talking about comics, having to say something like Johnny as Doom is just a normal thing you yeah. say. Um, yeah. And the, this is a really great part because they decide basically they start reminiscing on all the pranks they pulled on one another. And uh, they decide that what what this giant, huge fight needs is for them to uh, pull a prank, and uh, like they're going to solve this by pranking Doom, and it's yeah. and it's great. It, it's it's very reminiscent of when Doom swapped minds with Matt Murdock, uh, which is a little later yeah. in continuity, I think. Here, um, it is, yeah. But uh, they in in that case. Matt Murdock, um, as Doom, is goes uh, to you know releases a statement that Latveria is going to attack all of its neighbors. So it causes Doom to give up the the their devil body and come back to settle all this before it causes an international incident. This is the opposite. This is Johnny as Doom just signing away everything with treaties galore, and uh, he. He says, okay, done. You get all our coal in exchange for a lifetime supply of later hosts. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got a time machine up for bid. First first one to pony up and Maserati gets it. Yeah. And that is enough to turn uh, Doom in, in the Human Torch body back down <laughs> to to uh, swap bodies again. He is very upset that, this, uh, that you know, Latveria is being represented this way. Yeah, I mean, he humiliated Johnny. Johnny is humiliating him right back. It is really it the the way that their fights in this period just turn into fights over morale mm-hmm. like that that's how you score the victory yes. real interesting yeah, it's a, and that's also a, a very fantastic four trait you know it's not always a fight it's more of a who can walk away with with their head held high especially in doom's case because pride is everything so <laughs> you hurt doom's pride as we learned from the last story we were talking about, and he will not let that go. It will just compound into uh, to uh, some kind of you know rage beyond the bounds of time and space. That's how much Doom can can seek revenge. Namor says farewell to the Fantastic Four, gives Sue a, a little thing that uh, he found in a sunken Spanish galleon. <laughs> <laughs> looks like it an absolutely gorgeous piece yeah. of treasure shakes hands uh with reed and takes off doom is freaking out over the the uh, treaties that he signed or that johnny signed in his body and uh has been forced into actually making agreements with his neighbors and uh as a final prank johnny burns the underarm webs <laughs> off of spider-man's <laughs> yeah. costume and, uh, and finally, we get a scene of the thing that links this whole miniseries together, which is a time-traveling Kristoff who 
we'll get to in a couple years with this show. <laughs> I know how that feels. Uh. <laughs> Chris, Christoph will turn up yeah. eventually. I don't envy you the task of the convoluted threads of following Doom's timeline as Doom because it's a. Uh, I mean, other than Kang, which arguably might be Doom. Uh, is uh, the most convoluted timeline in the Marvel Universe. So, uh, <laughs> At some point down the line, we, we are going to have to deal with Doom 2099, which is a whole oh, man. Yes. thing. And I think has never been settled conclusively. I, not that I know of. So that'll be... Uh, <laughs> any, t- any of the 2099 stories have their own, th- their own issues, of course, especially when yeah. you, you get things like Miguel uh, traveling to the present and uh who i don't even recall what that would have done uh to his timeline where he came from in the spider-man story so yeah it's uh yeah. it's a it's a i you know i i think some of that got uh taken care of when they when they rolled the universes together in the last uh large event that i it is uh eventually uh set up that alchemax is what Liz Allen's chemical company becomes. <laughs> <laughs> that that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is yeah. This is so much fun. It's a. Uh, it's. I love uh, because we think this way now. Having all of the the history to look back on, um, it's it's good to see people as they retcon things. And we've already started to see this happen between sixty one and sixty eight. You know, there are already things where wow. people are are referencing in between stories or at least, you know, anecdotally mentioning them. And so this sort of, yeah, like self building, I don't have a, I can't think of, I think a specific <laughs> example right now, but there've been a couple of, you know, uh, as Kirby is winding down, um, there have been some more revisiting of origins. And then sometimes those origins will have like another bystander POV. And, and just <laughs> that starts to create an alternate version of the stories. So uh, certainly from, you know, Thor's origin, I mean, that's probably the best example, Dr. The lame Dr. Blake, Uh, you know, he's already in our timeline as we're going through, we've already, you know, now found out that Odin, or at least in this timeline so far that we're in, in 1968, Dr. Don Blake uh, was never a person. He was just created by Odin you know, uh, fully formed and ready to go to college. Uh, (laughs) so, uh, so that, I mean, that's just the convoluted nature of the Marvel universe. And, uh, it's, it's wonderful. And it's wonderful that it somehow still holds together just barely. Um, and like, for example, this uh, Namor showing up with an Atlantean army and, uh, basically Leviathan that, that the thing already blew up with a bomb strapped to his back uh, a while ago. So, yeah, <laughs> maybe a new Leviathan, I guess. I mean, there's got to be several there's, of them, right? There's room for many large creatures under the sea, I'm sure. So you, you should talk a little about like what's going to be coming up in the near future on Marvel um, Month. Well, what you know, what's funny is I try to stay um, as close to the moment as I can so okay. that it, when I read ahead... It sort of spoils the surprise, but we've, but what we've recently covered, um, uh, we talked to Mike Allred, who is my favorite oh, wow. creator, yeah. uh, I, as a, an artist, uh, his creation, Madman, uh, pretty much other than, you know, Vertigo and, and non-superhero comics, that was the comic that kept me reading comics through the late nineties. Wow. Uh, and his style is such a 
great throwback style, but in its own fully formed way. So um, I got to talk to him. We got to talk about Silver Surfer. We got to talk about the first appearance of Mephisto with him. So um, wow. it was a, it's great. So, you know, those are the kinds of things we're, where we're at now. Uh, and we just talked, um, this will be out in a couple of weeks, but we just talked about the Fantastic Four visiting Latveria for the first time. So, yeah. uh, you know, from a neighboring communist nation where people are saying, you don't want to go over those mountains. No one comes back from over those mountains. <laughs> so, uh, so it's, it's just great. It's great to, um, you know, Brian and I really wanted to sort of revisit the silver age and the superheroes specifically. And this is really the Marvel universe that everybody knows now as popular culture, Marvel universe. Of course, the cinematic universe is its own version, but, uh, it's very, very much based on these things. Um, and I can't wait for fantastic four to come back, but, um, yeah, I didn't even do the full, the full, Marvel by the month pitch, but I'll give you the, the two sentence uh, bit for it. Go for it. Um, We're a weekly podcast where each episode examines one month in the publishing history of Marvel comics, starting in November of 1961 with fantastic four number one. Um, So those very first few episodes, we're covering very few comics, Uh, but we, as each superhero that people are familiar with um, and supervillain, uh, come in and and ancillary characters that we all know as they come uh into the marvel universe we're getting to see that for the first time and and talk about the creators and talk with creators and talk with historic historians and experts like douglas wolk and uh and uh and our friends and you know comedians lots of people so um the it's just it's just a march through time that is so much fun but it it is getting a little hard with the uh you know 15, 16 issues, annuals, double-sized Silver Surfers. Um, yeah, uh, but it, it comes back down for a bit. We, we don't know what we're doing yet when we get to the 80s or, you know, the 90s, man. Uh, right. So we'll just have like 20 hosts on the show, I think is how we'll divvy it up. Right. But uh, yeah, it's nice. a, it's and our, um, our episodes come out every Wednesday. We just started a, uh, a Patreon. So there are longer editions and bonus editions that we're doing every week that are available through that. And all this can be found at marvelbythemonth.com. So, uh, yeah, we have a shop. I, I do some, some fun art projects that are very, uh, throwback to, to the, uh, the stay inside and read comics, um, Thor hammer that we, that we <laughs> designed before the pandemic and then felt very bad about it. Uh, but it's it sure fit. Yeah. <laughs> Rob Milne, thank you so much again. Next week, Chelsea Gaia joins me to talk about Fantastic Four Annual Number 3 and its curious mid-90s remake. Meanwhile, if you've got any questions about anything having to do with Doctor Doom, this show, or Latverian culture in general that you'd like us to answer on the show, the address to email them to is faithfulretainerboris at voiceoflatveria.com. The Voice of Latveria podcast is made possible by the patronage of listeners like you. If you support us through patreon.com slash douglaswolk, you'll get access to our private book club and discussion board for Marvel nerds, the 616 Society. You can find out more about this podcast on our website, voiceoflatveria.com, and follow us on Twitter. This is Douglas Wolk for the VOL. Douglas Wolk appears by special arrangement with Universe 1218. His book, All of the Marvels, is a guided tour, of 60 years and half a million pages of the Marvel comics story. All of the Marvels will be published by Penguin Press this October.
Lord Doom commands you to order it. Zero, one, three. This is the voice of Latvia. Zero, one, three. Tomorrow on Arts Anniversaries, on its initial release, Archon 4, Barbarian Berserkers seemed like just another action sequel. But not only did it become the vehicle for Simon Williams' breakout role, it's taken on a second life as a staple of late-night cinema, and spawned a long-running video game franchise of its own. The film's producers have sworn to never make another Archon film, due to extra-dimensional threats of violence but one brave Hollywood crew thinks they may have found a loophole. We'll take you behind the scenes of Archon 4, Part 2. That's tomorrow on Arts Anniversaries, here on the V.O.L. This concludes our broadcast day. May Doom's terrifying face inspire you to devotedly implement his policies until you die. Zero, one, three.